Before we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, uh, we're going to take a look at a passage uh, in Romans 16 that um, begins with, actually, uh, in, in our version, the New King James Version, it says, Now I urge you, brethren... Uh, it's the same word that we saw last week when we saw the Apostle Paul saying, I beseech you, or please, I beg you, when he asked for prayer. Remember that? And he also uses it three times in the book of Romans. Once he did it in Romans 12, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he goes through all of this doctrine, and he, and he lays it out. And, and now knowing all of this, I beg you, please, I beg you, lay your lives down as a, a living sacrifice. And I beg you, please pray for me. And then uh, we're going to see another I beg you in chapter 16, another I beg you. And it's an interesting one, to say the least. Uh, and it's one that's timely, because in a postmodern world where Christianity is under attack, um, we have enough attacks outside, we don't need any on the inside. And, and Paul was writing this letter at a time where the church was being attacked on every front. Uh, they, they didn't have a foothold in Europe. They didn't have uh, seminaries. They didn't have Christian radio stations. They didn't have Christian governments. They didn't have anything of, of that sort. And so Paul is saying, this is what we really need to do to survive as a body of believers, as a family, as the body of Christ. And so we're going to take a look at that today. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Verse 1, chapter 16, Paul's going to go through 35 names, actually, uh, through the entirety of chapter 16. I think 27 are listed here. And each of the folks he's going to list as we're reading are servants. These are people that have worked in the body of Christ. Paul commends them. He, he, uh, he lists 24 names, 13 appear in inscriptions here. Some of them he calls uh, my, my beloved. Uh, it's, it's powerful. And uh, there's distinctions and degree of honor that he bestows on each of them uh, based on their graduated scale of service. So some of them work harder than others, but Paul is noting them. And the Bible says if you want to be great in God's kingdom, be a servant. These are noted servants. Here we go. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sancria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and a sister in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So not only has she helped the church, she's helped Paul. And she's the one who's actually carrying the letter to Rome. Uh, and so she's a servant. She's putting her life on the line. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, or as we heard earlier, Joe and Mary Solar. No. <laughs> Greet Priscilla and Aquila. They were the ones that educated Apollos. They discipled him. And uh, so Paul says, They're my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. They were instrumental in setting up the churches in the Gentile regions throughout Asia Minor. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. They, not only are they working hard, but they host the church in their house. Gift of hospitality, good people. Greet my beloved Epinetus who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. He was the first one in Achaia to come to Jesus, uh, just like we saw with Cynthia coming to Christ. This is, a, this is this person. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who are also with Christ before me. They, they were in prison with Paul. And they're, they're so impressive in their service to the kingdom that all the apostles that are still living are blown away by their service. Um, and then verse 8, greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apellus, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Interesting. He doesn't say greet Aristobulus. He says greet everyone who's in his house. And uh, as Spurgeon said, Aristobulus is the kind of person that his wife goes to church, his kids go to church, the youth group meets at his house, but he doesn't want anything to do with church. So we greet his household, 
but you have no listing here, Aristobulus. That's sad. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are in the household of Narcissus. Again, another guy like Aristobulus. They greet those who are in his house, but they don't greet him. Narcissus, narcissism. Hmm, just saying. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosis who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Many believe that that's Simon the Cyrenian who carried the cross for Christ. Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Greet Asakritosis and Hermas and Petrobus and Hermes and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philogogus, Philologus and Julia, Neruus and his sister Olympus and all the saints who were with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And we're going to begin to implement this from this time forward. Let's try right now. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, And the churches of Christ greet you. Now, this is what we're going to be studying this morning. Now, I urge you, I beseech you, I beg you, therefore. Third time. Here we go. What does he beg us? I beg you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid, or another term is mark them. It's the word scopio in the Greek, which means keep an eye on them, mark them, mark those, avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly by smooth words and flattering speech. That's where we get the eulogia, eulogy. It's this idea of polished language to captivate the mind and to steer people away smooth words flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the simple for your obedience has become known to all therefore i am glad on your behalf but i want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil the idea of simple minded is this distrusting no one you know the simple minded uh, you've met folks like that they're just pollyanna they're oh praise hi you know they're talking to hitler and they don't know it so uh verse 20 and the god of peace will crush satan under your feet shortly and the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you amen and then i want to read um one other passage to you this is out of second corinthians chapter five Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has, listen, who has, listen, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is communion. His body was broken, reconciled to the Father. We're at enmity. We're at odds. We're at war. And we've been reconciled. Christ paid the penalty. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. All of you in the room are ministers, of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So I'm not the only minister in the room. You are too. And today we learn what ministry that is and how to apply it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is living and breathing and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And Lord, as we've seen in this passage of Scripture, it's an honor to labor for Christ. It's still a, a greater honor to labor much for Christ. And joining the Christian church, and we desire a place or a position or honor or respect, the way to obtain that is by labor, not by division, not by selfishness. And so, Lord, thank you for the contrast in the last chapter of, of this epistle. And Lord, I pray that you lead us into all truth. Strengthen us and bless us according to your riches in Christ, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat, please. Proverbs chapter 6. 
it says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are abomination to him. And the writer goes through all of them. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies. And then the final one, which is the capstone, is one that we have to take to heart. And Paul exhorted and advised the church in Rome God hates, and they're an abomination to him. And this is the last of them. One who sows discord among the brethren. One who sows discord among the brethren. We go through this passage of Scripture, and we see all of these servants working on behalf of the Lord in Rome. We find in Philippians 4.22 that among those who were in the household that Paul spoke of were working in Caesar's household itself. They were working for Nero. Their lives were tough, and they went through a lot of misery and difficulty to be there. And Paul commended the church there in Rome, and he's speaking to them on, on how to be effective and how to stay alive. And he says, look, we've already got enough combatants on the outside. We don't need any on the inside. And, and he, he pointed out what is so vital to the body of Christ and what we really need to do as Christians. And I, I love what Gail Irwin said in his book, The, the Jesus Style. He said this picture of, of how the church is supposed to operate. Number one, the church is to restore the sinner. We restore the sinner. We put out the divider. And we settle personal differences. That's what makes for a healthy church. We restore the sinner. We put out the divider. And we restore personal relationships. But the church does just the opposite. We put out the sinner. Well, you're not welcome here. Look at you. How could you dress like that? So we put out the sinner. And we elevate the divider. Those that that flatter us. And those that have smooth speech. And eulogia. This idea that they can sway us. And, and they seem to be so persuasive, and the church divides into little camps. And they, they feed their own belly. They're not servants. They're not silent. We, we, had we not known of Paul's writings, we would have not known of anyone in relation to the church in Rome that made it work. Instrumental in the furtherance of the gospel and Christianity as we know it today. And, and had Paul not listed them, we wouldn't have known who they were. And they were just as important, if not more so, than Paul himself. Paul couldn't have done what he did without what they did. And this idea of settling personal differences, we just love to harbor a grudge. And that's human nature. We tend to, to be bitter and we tend to, to just be upset all of the time. And the Lord commands us to yield and to surrender. I, um, I was blessed yesterday to be at a wedding. Um, and actually, uh, the parents of the bride are here, uh, the Blickians. And, and uh, it was a lovely wedding, every aspect of it. And the beauty of it was it, the dwelling together in unity, watching two families come together, rejoicing that their children have walked with the Lord, that they've waited for one another, that they, they, they come to this wedding and watching two families seamlessly bond together. And, and, you know, Mike did pretty well considering how expensive the wedding was, but they come together <laughs> in this regard. And there was a joy about it. There was a joy about every aspect of it. And you could just sense the, the peace and the unity. And it was family and an extended family and a bigger family, all done by marriage. An ideology of an understanding of the scriptures that brought us together and made us one. It was so pleasant. I contrast that. That was Saturday. I contrast that with a funeral that I did on Friday. In all my years of ministry, that was the hardest funeral I have ever participated in. 
without exception. Hardest. And, and, and it had to do with a breakdown of interpersonal relationships and bitterness that had gone on and on and on. And it manifested itself in every level imaginable. And, and the congregation, as I was called on by the Lord to address this and to bring it forward, to their credit, they were, they were yielding. And, and I thought that they were all going to be upset with me. To the contrary, they weren't. They were very complimentary. And they too wanted it resolved. They were all hurting. And everyone had thrown a barb, and everyone had thrown a bomb, and everybody was hurt. Everybody. And so many young Christians in, in this, this group, and so many that didn't know the Lord, and a burden for the lost. And watching as all of this, and the day before, you know, threats and challenges and, and all kinds of things being leveled on the church itself. Asking God for wisdom and how to navigate this and, and to address this issue in front of them at a funeral service. It was trying. It was so difficult. And the breakdown in interpersonal relationships and the inability to, to forgive. The inability to forgive. I, I, the Lord commands us in Matthew 6. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. You don't get to be forgiven and not forgive. It doesn't work that way. And I I, I was so mindful of the words. The words. Just, they, they hurt. I heard them come from both sides in their mouths. And the pain... Here at a wedding, ingratiating and kind and loving and complimentary. And prior to this funeral, the bitterness and the anger and the bombs. The Lord said in Matthew 5, the Lord said in Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. He's stating the sixth commandment. And whoever murders will be in danger of Judgment. But I say to you, Jesus adds to the commandment because he's God and he can. He says, you think murder is bad? Let me add to it. I'll show you what's really bad. I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother in anger without a cause, raka, which means empty headed, you shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says to their brother without cause, you fool shall be in danger of hellfire itself. I mean, I've used the word, you fool. We've done it in jest. Jesus used the word, you fools. He did it with a cause. We feel so justified. But it's amazing how we can attack another human being. And it elevates ourselves. It makes us feel better to, to, to cut down someone else with our words. And for him to equate it with murder, some of us think, oh, that's a bit harsh, is it? Tell me if I need a bullet or a gun to kill. Imagine you're a parent and you say to your child, you're stupid, you're ugly. I wish you had never been born. Do you need a gun? No, your words will do just fine. You've accomplished murder without pulling a trigger. Words are painful, they hurt. I I have ideological differences with those who sit on the council, but they are my friends. 
And you will not speak ill of them. In this raucous, divisive political contest that we're engaged in and listening as spouses are attacked and candidates are attacked and their character and their families. And we, we think it's sport and funny, and it isn't. And that's far away. It's federal elections and state are even further away. But this is community. And I sit in a council meeting and I hear words spoken to the character of my friends. This is where we live. We don't just do it. We don't do this in a church and we certainly wouldn't do it in our community. At the Kiwanis that I am, I'm privileged to be a member of, the kind words and the encouragements on those Wednesday mornings I know there's ideological differences in the room, but they strive to serve one another. This is the body of Christ. We set the example. We have enough enemies on the outside. We need not have any on the inside. We speak to one another. As it says in Colossians, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body. And be thankful. This is God's command. And when Jesus says, if you say to your brother, you fool, or empty head, or raka, and you're in danger of the fires of hell, he says, there's a remedy. He goes on to say, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, or if you come for communion to the altar... After the message, if your heart is touched, if you're thinking back and going, I really let some bullets fly. I've got some mending to do. I need to ask for forgiveness. There's some forgiveness I need to extend. And you come to take communion. The scripture says, if you you come to the altar and then remember your brother has something against you, Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar. Forget communion. Go your way and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Your brother has something against you? Wait a minute. They should come to me. No, you go to them. See, while you and I were yet sinners, Christ left heaven to die on a cross. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. He came to us. He was without sin, came right here in the mess of this earth. To reconcile. And what he did, he commands us to do. You know how much he commands us to do it? He says, you, you want to do communion? You want to worship? You want to praise the Lord? You want to give gifts to the altar? You want to offer your life? Stop. I'll tell you what's more important than praising me and worshiping me and laying your life down for me. I'll tell you what's more important. Go and be reconciled to your brother. I put a very high premium on reconciliation and forgiveness. Those aren't my words. Those are Lord's. We go through life and we neglect these things. Ephesians says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God and Christ forgave you. It's amazing how we measure the worth of another human being Paul goes through a list and the measure of worth to all the folks he's listed is their servants. Servants. These are folks that don't complain, they just work. 
A servant speaks when they're spoken to. They offer their opinion when they're asked. And they're not servants by obligation, but by adoration. They're in the service of God by joy. They're serving you willingly, not because you give them a paycheck or they owe you something. This is all the folks that are listed. Servants out of adoration. Servants out of a yieldedness of their will to serve even the unlovable. Imagine Paul was a tough taskmaster and he was moved by them. This is what makes a body of Christ great. If you want to be great in the body of Christ, be a servant of all. This is what makes the church great, servants. Servants are silent. Servants are sweet. Servants are faithful. Servants enjoy what they do. They don't keep a record of wrongs. They go through life and they help and they lay their lives down. We often come to church to be served, not to serve. As Paul goes through this list of all these servants and he lists them one by one, I don't know that the world would put a premium on their lives. David Lloyd George was the Prime Minister of England, 1916 to 1922. And he was addressing a meeting in South Wales when the chairman, thinking to be witty at the chancellor's expense, he remarked to the audience that he was a little disappointed in Mr. Lloyd George's appearance. He said, I had heard so much about Mr. Lloyd Lloyd George that I naturally expected him to be a big man in every sense. But as you can see for yourselves, he is very small in stature. He was a tiny man. And he was trying to make a joke and have everyone laugh, but extended that I expected a bigger man because he's such a uh, powerful personality. And most of the audience was a little shocked. It didn't come off. It wasn't funny. They, they, they stood in silence. And then Lloyd George stood up. He said, I am grieved to find that your chairman is disappointed in my size. But this is owing to the way you have here of measuring a man. In North Wales, we measure a man from his chin up. But you evidently measure him from his chin down. How do you measure a man by his appearance, his physical stature. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, when Samuel was looking for the next king of Israel, he saw Saul, who was head and shoulders above the rest, and he was assessing all of the sons of Jesse. He says, surely this has got to be the one. He's a strapping physical specimen of a man. And he went down the line, and God kept saying, no, 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 no. And finally, Jesse is saying, I don't have any more sons. And Samuel says, are you sure? And he says, I got one, but he's the least in my estimation. You don't want to waste time with him. He's, he's a lunatic and he's out tending the sheep. He says, call for him. We will, not, we will not sit until he arrives. And when he arrives, God spoke to Samuel's heart and he said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected these, these men of Jesse. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And David was a man after God's own heart, and that's who was the least in his father's estimation, but became the greatest king in all of Israel. We, we measure people, and servants are great in the body of Christ. There's just something special about a servant. There's something profound about a servant, and it blesses us. And then Paul quickly contrasts this entire list of these servants that are to be commended and they, they blow us away by what they've done. And then he comes to verse 17 after having listed all these servants that have made the body of Christ what it is. And he turns and he says, now, with that understanding, I, please, I beg you, pay attention. I beg you. Note those who cause divisions and offenses. Mark them. 
Mark them. Scopio, keep an eye on them. Microscope, scopio, same term, telescopio. Right? Note those, mark those who cause division and offenses. This idea of dicostasia, which is dissension, division. And he says, mark them who cause offenses. Offenses of scandalon. Scandalon is, it's a fascinating term in the Greek. Scandalon is the stick that goes on the trap when you want to capture an animal and you tie meat to it. And the animal comes and and they take the bait and they're they're trapped. And they create scandals to get your attention. And you just want to read the inquirer. And they go, did you hear? No, what? Well, it's not my place to say anything. I've just been praying for them. (laughs) But I'm just a little grieved in my spirit. I'm not sure how to process it. Maybe you can help me. And they create these offenses and they're so subtle. And it's contrary to the doctrine which they've learned. I mean, you've learned about forgiveness. You've learned about tenderness. You've learned about not murdering with words. You know what is right. And yet contrary to the doctrine that they've learned, they, they avoid it. And the scripture says, avoid them. Don't, don't even hang with them. Don't give them positions of authority. Just avoid them. Say hello in passing. But don't engage in, in, in anything pertaining to them. Mark them. There's a pattern. And you think, well, Lord, how do we do this? Because, you know, the scripture, the parable where they sowed the, the tares in with the wheat and it came up, you couldn't tell the difference. He says, shall I go pluck it out? He says, no, you'll destroy the young wheat. Just let it grow up to its fullness and, and then it'll be separated at the harvest. And that's what the angels will do at the end. God will start doing the dividing. But if you start pulling people out, they're connected with others in the fellowship. And it's going to hurt them. They've built relationships, but they're subtle in their ways. Just mark them, stop them, address it, but don't pluck them out. Avoid them in the sense of not engaging them in any of the activities in the fellowship that, that have authority. Don't let them teach. Now, how do you identify them? The Bible says you'll know they're Christians by their fruit. Jesus said in Matthew 7, By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You can identify them by their bad fruit. Every person that's been affiliated with you has left the church. Well, that seems to be the fruit of division. It seems like everybody's upset with you and you're the center theme of everyone being upset. Offenses. And every time you're addressed, you always make it about yourself. You play the martyr. You're always upset. And you, you, it's everybody else's fault but your own. You're selfish. And you talk a talk about how you're walking a walk, but we don't see any fruit in relation to that. You're a puff talker. I'm going to mark you. <laughs> Big orange fluorescent paint. We've got some today. We're going to be using. I'm kidding. <laughs> you resist them. And you contrast that with what you're looking for in that list from verses 1 all the way to verse 16. You're looking for those who have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. Those are good people. Those are the ones you put into positions where they can affect things and change things. But the ones that cause division, you can see it. There's just a pattern to their life. You avoid them. I like this poem. It says, The Perfect Church. I think that I shall never see a church that's all it's ought to be. A church whose members never stray beyond the straight and narrow way. 
A church that has no empty pews, whose pastor never has the blues. A church whose deacons always deek. And none is proud and all are meek. Where gossips never peddle lies or make, compliment, uh, or, or make complaints or criticize. Where, where all are always sweet and kind and all to others faults are blind. Such perfect churches there may be, but none of them are known to me. But still, we'll work and pray and plan to make our own the best we can. Paul commends some people and he says, greet others. And then he says, watch out for those who cause trouble. It's very clear to the Apostle Paul and what he wants us to do. We've seen this idea of dissension. We've seen this idea of scandalon, which is the trigger, the trap that gets us into it and we fall prey to it. Ephesians 4 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Paul writes in Galatians 6, Let us not be weary, become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This includes speaking good words, words of commendation and appreciation. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Romans 14, Paul writes, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. And again, we see in Ephesians 4 to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling. We're to love one another. I share all this because not that the church here struggles with that in any way, shape, or form. But the body of Christ does at large. We have to be very cautious. We have enough enemies on the outside. We don't need them on the inside. I want to give you a practical application of this as we prepare for communion. When Paul says, please, I beg you, brethren, note those who cause division. Mark those. Scopio those who cause divisions. Degostasia, dissension, offenses, scandalon, contrary to doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. Avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. The idea of the simple are those that distrust no one, as I said earlier, the Pollyannas. Just, they're sweet people and they're servants. You love to be around them. They've got great strengths. But it's dangerous. And these smooth and simple words, eulogia, it's where you get the term eulogy. And it's amazing. You, you can go to a memorial service and the person who gives a eulogy, you're like, are we talking about the same person? <laughs> you remember the old story about the man that was a thief and a murderer and a liar and an adulterer and he was the worst man in the town. He had a brother who was just as awful. And the man died and the brother wanted him to be recognized. And so he called for a funeral service and he went to the church and he offered the pastor $100,000. But he said, you got to call my brother a saint in front of everyone. He says, I can't do it. He says, well, there's $100,000 riding on. He goes, well, I'll figure out a way. <laughs> so the pastor gets up there and he speaks to the man. He says, this man was the biggest liar, the biggest thief. He was an adulterer. He's a murderer. He's a scandalous man. He was awful, probably the worst man in our community. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> this is where we get the word eulogia. It's those polished language captivating the hearer, smooth words, and, and we eulogize people and try to put the best foot forward and paint it in a picture that is acceptable for those who are grieving. 
But folks who serve their own belly use those words to flatter people. And flattery is what you say to someone's face that you wouldn't say behind their back. Gossip is what you'd say behind their back that you wouldn't say to their face. They're both awful and they both destroy a church. And Paul says, be mindful of those. They're so subtle in the way they work. They just weave in and out. And you'll see fruits. You'll start to see a pattern. And, and I'm a shepherd. I look for wolves. That's what I do. And quite honestly, every sheep is a potential wolf. And every wolf is a potential sheep. So you have to navigate that very delicately. Because everybody has a sinful nature. And they're all, they all, we all can be, at one point or another, selfish and self-consuming. But we want to make it about us and be the center of everything. We create a cancer in the body of Christ. If we don't come to serve, as we saw in verses 1 through 16, but come to be served, now we're in trouble. And we can correct those folks, but they have this ability to navigate themselves out of accountability. And they avoid any accountability and they weave themselves in and out of, of different challenges in the church. And it becomes a problem. We start to see their selfishness and we start to realize the pattern of their life and we're in trouble. How to split your church. Focus only on your desires. Listen to every criticism you hear. Focus on your preacher's weaknesses, not his strengths. Target, target his imperfections and shortcomings for constant criticism to undermine morale. Speak the truth or practice love, but never combine the two. Store grievances for future use. Forgive only those who ask you to do so, and only if they deserve it. And place conditions on your forgiveness. This is a surefire way to kill the love between believers. Hide your own sins behind harsh attitudes and denounce others for sins you secretly struggle with. Do whatever you have to do to win. Twist scripture out of context to justify your views and methods. Tell others that you are on a mission from God. Avoid accountability and verification to help you dissolve Christian unity. Obviously, these things are just the opposite of what we're supposed to do. Doing these things will only cause more disagreement and division in the body of Christ. And without, a wo- without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Proverbs twenty six twenty. I have seen marks and have placed marks in my mind. This is not a church of division. This is one of the most amazing fellowships I've ever had the privilege to be a part of. In 15 years, I can count on one hand struggles of division. And they were easily remedied because the church was so strong that those folks had nowhere to hide. I remember I got a call from Ricky Ryan to head over to Malibu because the pastor there, who was one of the most loving, sweet, nurturing men I'd ever met, was going to help Ricky in Maui. And Ricky said, you take over and we'll put you as a chairman of the board until we find a pastor. And so I was now in charge. I was the CEO of Malibu. And that switched over the authority. And I remember observing a church and seeing what a lovely church it was and the kindness of the people and they're holding on to this beachhead in a very difficult area of California and they're doing a great job and they were family, they were tight. And they reflected the love of their pastor. And they were wanting things to move forward. And then I came across what I believed to be at first a servant who started to cause me to struggle a little bit as I observed their life. 
And they were also in charge of the accounting of the church. And I asked them for the books. And they said, I'll get those to you. And they would keep asking. And at first it seemed like an oversight. And I just considered they were busy serving the Lord. And then finally they gave me a sheet of paper. And it was a profit and loss statement. But nothing with all the details of it. And I said, well, I need all the details. I need the bank statements. We've got to get this in order. I'll get those to you. As time went on, they started to struggle. And I, I finally called them out. I said, look, I need the papers. And I don't know what's going on here, but there's some struggle. And I'm hearing, you know, things are coming back around. I don't go looking for trouble, but it's coming back to me. And you seem to be connected with it. And <laughs> I'm marking you. I got a problem. Now, is this going to be resolved? Or are we going to move forward? Because I'm concerned here. And I started to push it even further. And we went over to Stonefire Grill. And, and as he was upset, he says, well, nobody ever wanted you. And you're not even supposed to be the pastor. We're a family. And, da, 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 da. and he's lighting me up. I said, true as it may be, I'm here. I'm on the books. Those in position of authority put me here. However you feel about it, I'm here. God appoints that. I'm here. Now give me the books. And he started to calm down a little bit. And we went over to Stonefire Grill to sit down. And as we sat there, he seemed like a wholly, totally different person. And he was telling me all these sweet things. And he said, uh, this is for you. And he slided a check over to me for $10,000. He said, and I, I need you to go away. I said, you tear that up and you give me the books or you're going to go away. Those were good people at that church. And that person had weaseled themselves in. And to the pastor's credit, the reason why that church was so loving is because they didn't have me as the pastor. (laughs) But to his discredit, a guy like that got through. And to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Wha-bam, wha-bam, wha-bam. And I was over there as a hammer. (laughs) And they're back, and as soon as I could, I stepped out, just kind of just backed out, and they're doing great. I just bless them. Brian's working, it's taking a different direction, but it's, it's healthy. And that person's gone, and I won't even go into detail about that. And I pray for them. But this is the subtlety. One other thing is I, uh, it's happened to me three times in ministry, three times. Twice in San, uh, once in San Jose, twice here. Where we have a student that we invest in, and we say, look, we're pre-trib, pre-millennial, we're not Calvinists, we're not Arminius, we're Biblicists, we don't hold to the five points of Calvinism. I go through the whole list, I lay it all out. This is our doctrine, and we want to pay for your education, we want to bless you. We lay that all out. And then I start to see a pattern, and I go over and I say, are you a Calvinist? Because it seems like everything you're teaching is Calvinism. And you're doing all these things, and just, no, 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 I'm not Calvinist. Not Michelle, 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 Michelle. Well, if you are, I just, I'll, I'll bless you, we'll send you wherever you want to, but are you? no, I'm not. Okay, okay. And they were. And I, and, and I just look at that and I think they evangelize the saved to their pet doctrine. Instead of going into the lost world and saving the lost, they evangelize in the church. We have to avoid the division. I, I don't care if you believe other things, but this is what we believe. And we're family. And if you have an agenda, either... Give it up to stay or let us know and we'll bless you as you go. But if you remain and subtly try to do it, fluorescent paint. 
And I have to say, again, let me emphasize, that's the exception, not the rule. This is the most amazing fellowship you could possibly imagine. But we're going to come under challenge in the, in the days ahead. In a world that is ever increasingly becoming dark in many regards, we're going to be a, a beacon of light. And we're going to encourage one another. And we're going to be servants. And we're going to love on one another. And, I, and I, I just would assume take out verse 17 and just fill it with verses 1 through 16 because that's what I see at God speak. Everywhere I turn, there's a servant. I didn't put any of these cups together. I didn't break this bread. I didn't polish these plates. I didn't vacuum these carpets. I didn't do anything in here. Somebody else did. And that somebody is sitting right here. And I am so grateful to be the pastor of a church that is so, so loving. And there's, there's no undercurrent or division or agenda. It's precious. It's just such a neat season. And so may the Lord bless us as we take communion together because we have a ministry of reconciliation. God has reconciled the world to himself through Jesus. His body broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And as he has reconciled us to himself, we go out into the world and reconcile the world to Christ. And we get reconciled to each other so that there's no interpersonal divisions. Amen? And that's the beauty and the strength of the body of Christ that Paul commended. And today, God commends us. May the Lord bless you as we take communion together. Father, thank you for your word. And we thank you for this time together. And we ask your blessing as we take communion that our hearts would be knitted And Lord, so grateful to be the pastor of such a loving, loving church. And so Lord, we ask your encouragement in the body of Christ, in the Conejo. Lord, I don't know the situation of the other churches, but I do know the pastors and I know they love you and I pray protection upon those fellowships. And Lord, just protect the body of Christ at large in the Conejo from those who would seek to cause division. We'll mark them, we'll see them. And Lord, we're so grateful for the unity that's being established in our community. Bless your people now as we take communion. We do this in honor and remembrance of you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.